Good morning. Uh, this is time we release our children for Children's Church, so they'll head to the other building. Three years old through second grade are invited to, to head out that way. Uh, and then, of course, we've got a staffed nursery uh, over there in the other building as well, and a cry room in the back if you need to take advantage of any of those this morning. Uh, we also have, um, some of you uh, I'm sure are aware of, you know, this coffee bar area over here. It's got coffee and all that kind of good stuff. There's also several other things over there, information about um, mission works that we support uh, that are part of our, our church family that, um, the, that we support. We've also got stuff over there about uh, the ministry interest form that we've been talking about. There's a youth ministry survey over there. Um, and one other thing, oh, a flyer for new members lunch, new and prospective members lunch. So that's on the little coffee bar area, all kinds of good info over there in addition to the bulletins and prayer request sheets that we have uh, every week as well. So be sure to, to check that out if you haven't checked out any of those areas or information. Uh, okay, so that's the Zeke read for us, the, the part of the Sermon on the Mount that we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, and, and we're going to get into a little bit in a minute of, of what is Jesus getting at there when he talks about swearing by Jerusalem and the temple and all these other things. And, and so we'll get to, to some of that. Uh, but it seems like Jesus is referencing here uh, some laws from the Old Testament. This could be in reference to several laws. Uh, most notably, probably one that comes in Numbers chapter 30. This is Numbers 30 verse 2. It says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word, but must do everything he said. Uh, and so this seems at least to be part of what Jesus is referencing. If you've got your Bibles open, that's Matthew 5 is, is the, the scripture, the, the part that we're going to be focused on this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. And it's almost a direct uh, reflection, uh, at least what Jesus talks about there, to what we see here in Numbers. Uh, and if you can go back to that slide real quick, Jamie, you'll see at the beginning what one of the things that Jesus seems to be kind of addressing, not only in this part, but as we've talked about in reference to other laws throughout this sermon, is, is kind of people's ability to find loopholes in the law. Uh, and so the same thing would be true of this one. So you can see here at the beginning that it says, when a man makes a vow to the Lord, he must not break his word. All right, you can, go, you can keep going then, Jamie. Thanks. Uh, and so here's what people got to be really good at. People have always been good at finding loopholes. We're good at finding loopholes. It was true in Jesus' day as well. We're good at finding loopholes. And we've talked about it in reference to, to laws like love your neighbor, you can take that and kind of twist it and say, well, if I can define then who is my neighbor, I can define who I have to love and who I don't have to love. And so elsewhere, Jesus, you know, is asked, well, who is my neighbor, right? Because people wanted to know. If you can tell me who my neighbor is, then you can tell me who I don't have to love. <laughs> uh, and so it's the same thing here. Uh, just as Loving my neighbor can be twisted and taken as license to not love everyone. So too, this law of, making, uh, of keeping the vows that I make to the Lord can be licensed to not keep the vows that I don't make to the Lord. And so you can begin to find loopholes that if I make a vow to something else or if I swear by something else, 
then all of a sudden that oath or that promise isn't quite as binding. It's a way of kind of getting out of making, of keeping my promises or keeping oaths that I make. Uh, and, and I would, would say that we are familiar with this concept. Uh, so for instance, I want to invite you to, to press rewind and go back to your days as a child, which may take some of us longer than others, but if you go back to when you were a kid, what could you do that would nullify any promise that you made? Cross your fingers, right? Isn't that an amazing trick? Like, that's all you got to do. You can make any promise, but as long as your fingers are crossed, it doesn't matter. You didn't mean it. <laughs> you can make a promise intending to never keep it just because your fingers are crossed, which is a cool little trick. <laughs> uh, on the other hand, especially if you grew up like around church buildings, I'm sure you heard someone say something like this, or maybe you have said it, usually to a sibling, uh, you can't lie, you're in church, right? Someone heard this? Maybe even recently. As if there's something about this building that just has special powers that like once we're here, now God is really listening. And so if you lie in church, it, it like counts quadruple times or something, right? And so on the one hand, if you cross your fingers, now all of a sudden you don't have to keep that promise. But man, if you're in church and you lie, it's, it's bad. It's really bad. Uh, and so we learn from an early age that some promises carry more weight than others. Some things that I say simply carry more weight or are more binding than other things that I say. And I, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, we, we carry that into adulthood. Uh, I was listening again a couple of weeks ago to this silly little sports radio show that I referenced a couple of weeks ago for something else they did. They sometimes stumble into profound stuff. Um, but a couple of weeks ago, there's this like, group of guys in this radio studio, and uh, one of the guys was accusing the other guys in the room of eating his bag of mini donuts. And so one of the guys next to him says, I didn't eat them. The other guy says, I didn't either. The first guy says, I didn't either, and I swear on my daughter's life, I didn't eat your donuts. The other guy said he didn't eat them, but he wouldn't swear on his daughter's life. So it's like, okay, then I'm pretty sure you ate the donuts. Um, but but we, do, we, we still at times do that, right? We, we think if I swear by this that seems weighty, then that's going to really add some weight behind what I say. And so there are times when we feel the need to attach weight to our words or our promises or things that we say, and we have varying degrees then of how that goes. And, and what I attach my words to gives, makes them in some cases more binding. It's something we learn as a kid and something that in many ways, indirectly or directly, we carry into adulthood. Uh, and so Jesus then addresses some of this idea, not only in this part in Matthew 5, but even later on in some of his other teachings. Uh, we find this later in Matthew 26. This is, I'm going to read it from the message first because I think it, uh, it, it connects with, with much of our language. So this is Matthew 26, 16 through 22 in the message. Uh, Jesus is saying, he's talking to the religious leaders, and he says, You're hopeless. What arrogant stupidity. You say if someone makes a promise with his fingers crossed, that's nothing. But if he swears with his hand on the Bible, that's serious. What ignorance. Does the leather on the Bible carry more weight than the skin on your hands? A promise is a promise. What difference does it make uh, if you make your promise inside or outside a house of worship? A promise is a promise. God is present 
watching and holding you accountable regardless. Uh, and so that is this teaching kind of wrapped in current language, language that we can understand and kind of, I think, a little more relate to. Here's what, it's, uh, here's what it sounds like in a more traditional reading. This is from the NIV. It says, Woe to you, blind guides. You say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred. So you can leave it there. Go back, just leave it there for a minute, Jamie. You can see then uh, what, what Eugene Peterson pointed out in the message is that this idea of swearing by the temple is kind of Jesus' version of, of you can promise with your fingers crossed, right? Uh, because again, a, a vow that I make to the Lord is binding. And so you can find loopholes around that and say, well, if I swear by the temple, it's not really vowing by the Lord. Um, but if I swear by the gold in the temple, that's somehow closer to God. So I can kind of get closer there. So that makes it sort of more binding. Uh, and so what I swear by matters is what Jesus is pointing out here. But he's saying, again, same with our little tricks that we do. If you really think about it, like it's just ridiculous. Okay, so we keep going. Anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and the one who dwells in it. And anyone who swears by heaven swears by God's throne and by the one who sits on it. And so what Jesus is pointing out, at least in that teaching, is it doesn't matter what you swear by. You can split hairs and try to sway, say, I swear by this, but not this. You can split hairs and do all that stuff, but it doesn't matter. Any oath that you make is, is an oath. They carry equal weight. Uh, but again, we tell ourselves as people, what I swear by matters because it adds weight to what I say. And the more weight that I add to what I say, the more confidence that you should have in what I am saying. Uh, and there's a very simple reason why we do that and why it's needed. And that is because people, by and large, are liars. <laughs> um, we lie. We don't keep our word. We don't follow through on things that we should. Um, we, we aren't always accountable to the things that we have said, to promises that we have made, to things that we say we're going to do around the house, Right? Most of us have a list of things that we are going to get to pretty soon around our house, I'm guessing. <laughs> if you're anything like me, um, there's a list of things. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, we, we just have kind of this ongoing things. And, and people, by and large, have a propensity to lie. Uh, and I, I heard someone, or I read what someone said, that uh, we're all kind of okay admitting that, that we lie or that we don't follow through on our word from time to time. We will admit that, but none, none of us like to think of ourselves as liars. Like, that seems to be taking the next step. Um, but as one uh, New Testament scholar said, oaths arise because men are so often liars. That's why we have to have these things, right? That's why we have to have all this extra eight, uh, weight added to our words, um, because there are times when we don't follow through on those things. Uh, I think I've, I've talked about... Uh, this example before of repelling because it has a number of, of different applications, but I want to talk about repelling for a little bit this morning. This is a picture of me repelling. Um, who's anybody been repelling before? All right, a few people. Uh, so if you go on wilderness trek, <laughs> all right, <laughs> some are really excited about it. <laughs> I was not excited about repelling the first time I went repelling. I've been three times now. If you go on wilderness trek, uh, which is a popular like youth group trip. Um, especially kind of it seems like in, in other eras. Uh, some still do it, though. It's a good trip. Um, but 
uh, I went three times as a youth minister. The first time, this is a picture from the first time that I went rappelling. And um, I, w- I was terrified to do it, but it was like my first month on the job. So I was like, well, I can't let these teens see me not do this, so I have to do it. Um, but basically, what you can see here is that where the, the edge of that, this thing, this is the second week this has done this. I tested it all morning, and it worked fine. Now it doesn't. Man. Okay. Well, anyways, you can see the edge of the cliff down there where it looks like there's a rock there, and it just drops off as a straight cliff, and that's what it is. Uh, <laughs> It's just a straight cliff on the other side of that, which is just a couple of feet back from where I am. And, and so you just have to walk backwards down that, and then you just walk backwards down the side of a cliff. Just like there's no purpose for us doing this other than seeing who's going to be the most terrified and scream the loudest. But, uh, but that's what you do. You just walk backwards down a cliff. Um, and it's, it's pretty scary. And so when, when the, the guides took us up there to go rappelling, you can see there that there's a couple of different ropes attached to my harness there. Um, and so what they told us is that they said, if you were just kind of a, a person, this is in Colorado. They said, if you're just a local person from Colorado who goes out and goes repelling, uh, this would look like complete overkill. They said, what, what just kind of a local would do would be to take one of these ropes, tie it around this tree, and just take off down. said, but basically, we know we're working with people who aren't used to doing this, right? And so they tie off one of those ropes to that tree. Uh, then they take that rope, tie it to a huge boulder that isn't going anywhere that's behind that. And then take the other rope and tie it to another huge rock that's behind that. And tie that, rock, I mean, and, and tie that rope to that guy who's standing right there. And it's complete overkill. Um, and as they tell you, there's no chance that these ropes are going anywhere, and if they do, it's just because God's ready to take you and we don't have any control over it. Like, it's just your time. Um, and so they go through all this with you when you're doing it because, again, they know we're dealing with people who are not used to doing this. Most of them have never done it before, and there's got to be some extra weight that you add to the experience in order to give people the confidence to walk down the side of a cliff. Because it's not a natural thing to do. <laughs> um, and it's complete overkill. But it's what they have to do in order to get these, these teens and adults who have never repelled before to walk down this cliff. And I think Jesus looks at oaths almost the same way. And I think we could, we could talk about oaths in almost the same way. They are added weight that we add to our words in order to give people the confidence to kind of go along with whatever it is that we're telling them. Um, there, there are things that we tie to our words to give them extra weight. And they are needed, by and large, because people are too often unbelievable. And we, gotta, and we, we, we may think about someone, you, if you want me to believe that, if you want me to go with you on that, if you want me to walk backwards off this cliff with you, <laughs> I'm going to need something else tied to that. I'm going to need some extra weight tied to whatever it is that you're telling me. Uh, and so with all that kind of in mind, I want to invite you then to look at, at Matthew 5 again. Again, we pick up in verse 33 here, where Jesus says, This about you've heard it said long ago, don't break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, don't swear an oath at all 
And then he gets into some of this stuff that, remember, uh, we talked about that he references later in Matthew 26. So some of this may have seemed kind of random and out of place at first, but what he's saying is, I tell you, don't make, or, or, don't make an oath or swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. So again, he's saying all this stuff is connected to God anyway, so when you make a, an oath thinking you're parsing out this one matters and this one doesn't, you're, you're actually not. They're all gods anyways. Uh, but instead of saying, hey, all oaths matter, so, so keep all the oaths that you make, Jesus goes a step further and he says, I don't want you to make any oaths at all. Just stop making oaths. Because your words shouldn't need any extra weight added to them. When you say yes, people should be able to believe that you're going to follow through on that. When you say no, people should be able to, to believe that that's what you mean. Uh, let your yes be yes. And let your no be no. Uh, For Jesus, those simple words should carry enough weight on their own. And that is only possible if we are living a life of integrity, honesty, and accountability. In the end, I think Jesus' teaching here isn't necessarily a critique of oaths themselves. It's a critique for the need for oaths because of our propensity to lie break our promises, and not follow through on things that we should. Jesus is critiquing the the need to make the oaths um, and and the reasons that go behind that. And in that lies the evil of oaths. Uh, the, The evilness of oaths lies in the need for them, which is built around humans' tendency to break promises, to lie, and to not be held accountable to the things that we've said. And the remedy for that is living a life of integrity, of honesty, of being someone who is trustworthy, being someone who is a person of their word, so that when you say yes or no to someone else, they believe it. Because they can look at your life and say, I recognize this as a person who is a person of integrity and trustworthiness, and they mean what they say, and they're going to follow through with it. Uh, And we find then that I think the weight of a life of integrity um, is much more meaningful than the weight of hollow promises and oaths that we add to our words. And that is the type of life that Jesus is calling us to. Uh, And so some, some though, have kind of gotten almost legalistic about this teaching and have said, well, Jesus says oaths are evil, we can't take oaths, so I'm going to refuse even to take oaths in courts of law or things like that, right? That's kind of been uh, a, a, if you kind of take a legalistic or, or, or really kind of black and white look at this, they would say, well, Christians then can't make any oaths. Uh, that doesn't seem to be what Jesus is getting at. Uh, again, even God, especially in the Old Testament, God makes oaths, specifically with Abraham, he takes an oath. But when we see God make oaths, Uh, He is making them not because of his untrustworthiness. (laughs) Uh, It's not God isn't telling Abraham, okay, this time I really mean it. I know I didn't before, but now I do. Uh, And I'm going to make this oath to prove it. Instead, when God makes oaths, he does it because he knows of our untrustworthiness and our unholiness. And so it is for Abraham's benefit that he makes this oath. Uh, Because, again, Abraham has probably been hurt by broken promises and things like that in the past. And so it's God kind of putting Abraham at ease uh, and helping Abraham out and speaking to something that Abraham may need instead of adding weight to the words that he's saying. 
And so if we as Christians are compelled by an external force or authority like a court of law or something like that in legal matters to take an oath, uh, Jesus isn't kind of telling us to rebel against that. I think what Jesus is speaking to is calling us, again, to lead lives of integrity, uh, to be people of, of honor and honesty, of trustworthiness, so that just in our regular day-to-day lives, there isn't even a need to make oaths or add promises to what we say. And that, the message of what Jesus says here, I think, boils down to that. And on one hand, it seems like an overly simplistic message or point, right? Don't lie, be honest, be a person of trustworthiness. It sounds like the children's ministry, children's sermon version of, of kind of the Sermon on the Mount, right? It just sounds overly simplistic. So much so that this may be one of the parts of the sermon that we would be tempted to just kind of skip past. You're like, well, that one's for the kids. <laughs> let's get on to the other stuff. Uh, let's get on to the bigger, weightier stuff. But imagine, imagine for a minute what our world would be like if we didn't have a need for oaths or promises because people never lied and always told the truth. Uh, this can seem like an overly simplistic message until you start to think about the many issues that we have as people with honesty and integrity and telling the truth and being people of trustworthiness. Uh, Again, this has been true across human history. But I think in every point of human history, you can see those things play out culturally in kind of culturally distinct ways, right? And so we kind of live in an era where, you know, facts are kind of prone to your own perspective or interpretation of the facts. Um, Honesty is is not upheld in in every area of life that we would like it to be, probably. We see too many examples around us of of times when the truth is is kind of bent to kind of make it match what you want it to or to tell a certain narrative or story. Uh, we, we live in an era uh, where these types of things are all too common. And what Jesus calls us to envision throughout the Sermon on the Mount is a lifestyle uh, and a way of living that runs counter to the ways of the world. He's calling us to kingdom living, to a kingdom perspective, to a way of seeing life, a way of envisioning the world that looks different than what culture feeds us and tells us. And so imagine what it would be like if we always lived to such an extent that people just knew that the things that we said were true, that we were going to follow through on our word, uh, and that we were going to be people of honesty and integrity. And Jesus calls us to live that way so that we can go out uh, and have impact on the world around us and to a world, to people, and to a culture Uh, who are in desperate need of those things now, just as they were in Jesus' day. Uh, I think another beauty of the Sermon on the Mount is that I think in it we find this great challenge uh, to ask of ourselves, how are we truly allowing the message of Christ to work within us? Uh, This can be kind of a tricky question for us to answer, right? Um, I think it's especially true for those of us who, uh, like for myself, I, I, I grew up in church, uh, I was a preacher's kid, I never remember a time like when, when Jesus wasn't just a part of, of life and family life. And so I think part of the, the, the kind of 
difficulty may be too strong of a word, but, but, but I think it is at times. Part of the difficulty then be can, can, to, can be to say, how do I truly know if I have let the message of God and the Spirit of God transform me into something new? Have I allowed the Spirit of, of Jesus to mold my heart, to shape my heart, to become a new creation? Because if I'm not careful about that, I can tell myself, I'm, I've kind of already arrived. This is who I'm supposed to be. Um, I'm, I'm doing okay. I'm doing well enough. So what are the, some things that I can do? How can I discern, have I allowed Jesus to transform who I am um, and to have uh, dominion uh, and, and, and uh, space in my heart to do some of the things that he has called me to do? And I think the Sermon on the Mount gives us some good ways of looking at that. So how, how can I know these things? Well, am I still getting angry? Uh, does my anger take hold of me and take control sometimes? Oh, man, sometimes it does. Uh, do, do I sometimes not follow through on the things that I say? And so do my words need some extra weight attached to them sometimes? Yeah, sometimes, sometimes they do. Uh, do I struggle with loving my enemies? Do I struggle with keeping my vow to my, to my spouse, even just in my support and encouragement of her, her and, and connection to her emotionally and spiritually? We can just go down the list, right? And so as we go through this, if we are willing to be honest with ourselves and take a look at our lives, we, we've got some ways to look at it and to say, okay, if I'm going to allow Jesus to transform the way I see myself and the world around me, to live by uh, a perspective of his kingdom, not the perspective of the world. Here are some things that I can look at and I can be attempting to do. It gives us uh, ways to ask ourselves, to what extent have we allowed the Spirit of God to transform us and to mold us? Uh, And in this specific part of the sermon, Jesus encourages us uh, to look at the words that we say uh, and the life that is embedded behind those words. And to ask ourselves, uh, are we people uh, for whom a simple yes means yes and no means no? And can we imagine and help create a world in which that would be the case? Uh, Can we help create a world uh, in which simply saying yes means yes and no means no? Uh, And so this morning, as we do every Sunday, we're going to share in communion together. Uh, and we share in communion to remember what Christ has done for us. Uh, we share in communion to remember what the, the sacrifice that he has made for us and his love poured out for us in his life, in his ministry, in his teachings, uh, and in his death and resurrection. And we are reminded of God's complete uh, presence and, and, and sustainment as truth, that God is truth. Uh, Hebrews 6 talks about that, this oath that I referenced earlier that, that God made with, uh, with Abraham, if you want to go read that later on your own. But, but what the Hebrews writer talks about there is God's, um, the, the identity that God is truth. And we are called to live that out in our lives as well, to be people uh, who are the embodiment of God's truth and love in the world. And so as we share in this communion meal this morning, may we remember the light, the life, the truth that is revealed to us in Jesus. 
and be encouraged to live that out in our own lives this week. And so would you stand? We're going to sing together, uh, and then we'll share in the communion meal together this morning. standing, we'll pray our prayer of confession together uh, and then share in communion. So I'll pray the parts in white, and together we'll pray the parts in yellow. Father, we confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. 
Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, be peacemakers here and now. Amen.